Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this time, Father. Lord, as always, I pray that you make our hearts and our minds receptive soil to that which you would say. And if it be your will, Lord, allow it to bring forth a crop, 30, 60, even 100-fold, Lord, that your name gets the glory and the honor that it deserves, Lord. It's in the mighty matchless name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we are looking at Lamentations chapter 3. And I know it was funny, I, I looked at Pastor Russ, I said, why in the world, outside of God putting it, putting it on your heart, of course, why in the world would you choose Lamentations? But I have to tell you, it has definitely been a journey for me. It's one of those books that you quite, I, I would say it gets overlooked. You don't look at it much, and since we've been studying through it, Pastor Russ has been doing a wonderful job. Um, can't wait to see what Santosh brings. But it has definitely been eye-opening, and it has been introspective for me as I've, uh, I always try to make it a point to put myself in the story. I know in reading books growing up and in uh, school, high school and everything, I read a lot of Hardy Boys and all of those good books and everything. And what made the books real to me was the fact that I could put myself in the story. You know, I always want to make myself be the hero or something like that. So I'm going through all of this. But with this book, you really can't feel the magnitude or the weight of it unless you put yourself in the prophet's shoes. You have to put yourself in the prophet's shoes. So today we're going to look at the third chapter of Lamentations, book in the Old Testament that is filled with grief and sorrow. And yet at the same time, it's filled with hope and a strong message of trust in God. This is a chapter that has expressions of pain and sorrow by the people of Israel as they look back on the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, which is where they worshiped. And they felt abandoned, alone, and in great despair. But despite their anguish, they were able to find hope in the steadfast love and mercy of God. The context of Lamentations 3, before we get into the chapter, let's take a look. It says the book was written by the prophet Jeremiah who was known as the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. He was a man who wept over the destruction of Jerusalem and the people's sin. He saw the coming judgment of God and he warned the people, but they did not listen. And as a result, they faced the consequences of their sins. Now I had to go back and kind of uh, dig around Jeremiah a little bit. And it is an interesting book. It's out of order. So you kind of got to drive through and it, 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 it is also using the genre of poetry as well but it's so interesting can you imagine now as a preacher or a teacher of God's word can you imagine preaching for 40 years and not one convert comes nobody listens to you everybody's against you everybody he preached for I think it was four or five different kings giving them these warnings from God and just nobody listened to him. They threatened his life. They even tried to take his life on several occasions. Just so frustrating. And he gets the uh, honorable call from God when he was a teenager and God encourages him, but just looking over everything that he had to deal with and struggle with trying to get this message across, trying to plead with the people, plead with the people. 
to listen. Turn away from the sins that you're doing. Turn away from that stuff and come back to God. Let's get this thing back right. And nobody listened. Can you imagine the frustration? I mean, if Marty don't throw his hands up when I'm getting good, I'm ready to walk off the stage and go sit down somewhere. So, but can you, I can't imagine that. And there were times that he wanted to quit. It said he quit, but it said it shot up in his bones like fire, and he found himself still continuing to preach and to prophesy the word that God had put in him. And then even when the king had shut his mouth, he found another method to get the word out. He had one of his scribes write the word for him. The king would tear up the writings. I mean, just so much hardship. Are you serious, Lord? And you say, wow, how is it that I can get anything done like this, Lord? This is so frustrating. So chapter three of Lamentations is unique because from the first chapter, we see uh, Jeremiah's talking about the people and what they were dealing with going through uh, the destruction uh, by the Babylonians. And then chapter two, you see the reason why, the punishment, why God is doing this, pouring it out on them. But in chapter three, it, it, it goes inward. It becomes an introspection. We go into first person and it says if Jeremiah is speaking from his own personal experience dealing with this and listening to it, we can feel his pain, his anguish and his cries for help. Now, pause here. As we get in this, it made me think, uh, I put on here my notes, Henry as a songwriter. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but I, I write songs. I've, I've written a ton of songs. I mean, I would say almost 50 to 60 songs. I've written a lot of songs. And what inspires me the most to write are, I would say, two events or two cycles that can happen in my life one when you fall in love hey come on that's the best right there when you fall in love you know you get to describe your feelings and you're high on life you're on cloud nine all of that good stuff and you get to I don't know just be able to be descriptive it's, it's just the best it pulls out the best in me and then I would love it because I would write the song for the girl and take it to her and let her let her hear it and, and then I could sing it and all that other good stuff so it would really uh, play out well for me in most times but another aspect of that songwriting for me was heartbreak season boy when you get your heart broke there's something about a broken heart that pulls out the best songs in the world I know anybody love country music country music is probably the best at, at, at capturing the pain of a lost love or a broken heart and I can always pull out my best songs in a broken heart. And you say, why do I say this? Well, I look at this, this, this whole book and you look at the importance of a lament. Lament means to cry, to weep, to wail from a deep place. So it's almost like a sad love song. But it's a, it's, it's, it's a real bad, bad love song, real bad. But Jeremiah goes through it. And it says, lament is an important, important theme that runs all throughout the Bible. It's a cry of pain and sorrow that is often directed towards God. Lament is not only important, but it is necessary for our spiritual health. When we lament or when we cry, when we weep, we acknowledge that things are not as they should be. We recognize that we live in a broken world and we need God to help us. When we lament, when we cry, when we weep, we also express our trust in God. 
We believe that he is our only hope and we know that he can bring us comfort and peace. Now, I don't know about some of you, but growing up, I, I, I heard a lot that it wasn't, it wasn't manly to cry. So a lot of times I would, I would hold my feelings. It's, it's, still, it's, it's still difficult for me to cry, especially to cry in public. You know, if the spirit is moving high and the Lord just gets me in that place, then, hey, it's just going to happen. But I, I have a tendency to want to steal away, to go to a, a solitude, a place of solitude to just release my feelings if it ever gets that high. You know what I mean? Because you don't ever want anybody to see you cry. But just like Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, our Savior was a crying Savior. It says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept for his friends. Jesus wept for his people and said, Oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you into my bosom. Jesus wept for his people. We, we have a Savior that is in touch. In fact, the Bible calls him in Isaiah a man of sorrows. So there's a lot of contrast between the weeping prophet Jeremiah and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, when Jesus went to him, he said, who do you say, who do, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. And he says, other people say that you're Jeremiah. You're Jeremiah. So there are a lot of correlations between Jesus and Jeremiah. And Jesus would, I would say, would be the greater Jeremiah when you look at the whole scheme of things and get to the end of it. But it was an expression. The genre of this book is poetry. It's written in poetry. And the style of poetry, I know Pastor Russ touched on this, but this was just amazing to me and blew my mind. The style of poetry is acrostic. What's an acrostic? An acrostic is when you use uh, the alphabet and you take the first letter of the alphabet, A, and you come up with a, a, a phrase. And then you come, you take the next letter B and you come up with another phrase. Well, as you know, Pastor Ruck told us, uh, each chapter has 22 verses, except for this one that we're going to look at. It has 66. He was really feeling it in this one. And then, and then, uh, but all four of the chapters are, use this acrostic method. Chapter five becomes a prayer. So it, it just breaks loose and does its own thing. But I thought that was so unique that he would use that. And this is why, this is what I said. I said, why would you use this? Uh, why is it significant? Well, how many moments in your life have taken your breath away? How many times in your life have you dealt with something that you haven't been able to accurately articulate? That you haven't been able to put the words to? That you haven't been able to find the words? Well, this method, this, this poetry method that uh, Jeremiah is using is a tool that you can use to express yourself. So in the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters. So there are 22 verses and he uses each one. And it's just a tool to kind of get the creative juices flowing, if you will. And so he uses that. So, and to me, that's just amazing because it means that God uses our talents. God uses those abilities that he's given us. They are there to help us. Help us what? Help us in our times of need. Help us in our times of expression. If you're ever one who has to get up and, uh, get up and, and preach and teach in front of people, those tools, those uh, talents that he's given you, you can always utilize them to do what? To help you through your teachings or whatever it is or whatever it may be. You look at David. David was a king, but David was also a musician. 
So when it came time for him to find ways to express himself, he definitely could do it. I, I heard he was a good dancer, too, wearing all those loose clothes. But, but it's, a, it's, it's a way of expressing himself, and he utilizes this. And like I say, in the third chapter, we go from uh, him describing the people to describing the punishment to describing himself. So from the prophet's perspective is what we, we're going to see today. And looking at, uh, I said, the first 18 verses of Lamentations 3, they are full of the pain and suffering that he is experiencing. The writer feels abandoned and alone, and he feels as though God has turned his back on him. And I put in uh, uh, bold letters and capitalized and highlighted, I put, but I'm supposed to be your boy. I'm supposed, I'm supposed to be your prophet. You called me when I was 17. You, you formed and shaped and fashioned me in my mother's womb. You, you sent me out here to give this message, and I've done it diligently. I've done everything that, that, that you've asked me to do. The people haven't responded. I've taken their criticism. I've taken their, their, their harsh words. I've taken their lashes. They beat me up. They didn't throw me. They didn't try to kill me. I've taken all of that stuff. Verse 1 says, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Verse one starts with a powerful statement. I am the man who has seen the affliction. The verse sets the tone for the entire chapter, which is full of pain, suffering, and despair. The prophet is speaking from personal experience, and he wants to share his anguish with other people but I'm supposed to be your boy. Billy Graham said something, and it's one of the most profound things that he ever said that, I, that I've heard. He said, if God does not judge America, then he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that statement? And, and, and I understand the sentiments. I see what everything that's going on in the country, everything that's happening, and something has to give. But when I look at this, and I look at this from Jeremiah's point of view, I, I am proud to be an American. I love being American, where we are free. I love all of that. But if God judges this nation, wait a minute, I'm here. And if it goes down anything like it did here in Jerusalem, then I'm going to have to deal with that too. It's not like Jeremiah's the prophet. You've been preaching faithfully. You've been giving them the word. You've been telling them everything that I've tell you. So here, I'm going to put you up in this palatial estate and let you just watch everything that happens. No. Historians believe that Jeremiah is writing this, looking at this, viewing this from a cave that overlooks Jerusalem, right? And this cave is actually in the shape of a skull. And this skull is called Golgotha. And do we know what Golgotha is? Calvary. It's where the greater than Jeremiah, sometime later, is going to give up his life for the whole world. And he's peering at this and he's looking through the cave and he says, I am a man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. I've seen it. Verse 2, he hath led me and brought me into darkness 
but not into light. And I'm using the King James. I always use the King James, but I really like the King James because I'm trying to grasp that poetic flow. Even though we're missing it because we don't know Hebrew. So we don't get to enjoy the acrosticness, if you will. We don't get the A, the B, the C, which would really be beautiful if we knew Hebrew. But we have to paint the picture another way. So I think the, cap, the, the King James kind of captures it a little bit. She says, he hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. In verse 2, Jeremiah describes how God has driven him away and made him walk in darkness. He feels abandoned and alone and lost. This is a common feeling that we all experience at some point in our lives. Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt alone? Definitely felt alone. Have you ever felt lost? Didn't know where to go, didn't know where to turn, didn't know what to do, right? And God is supposed to be our light. He's supposed to guide us on our path. But somehow I keep finding myself in these crazy places. For me, I call it scratch. You know how they say you got to go back to scratch? Well, often in my life, I got to go back to scratch. <laughs> where is scratch? It's over here. Come over here with me. I have to go back to scratch. And as your prophet, I... I wouldn't think that that would be necessary, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching your word. I'm doing everything that you've asked me to do. How am I part and party to this? He said, we feel like God has abandoned us and we are all alone. Verse three, it says, surely against me is he turned. He's turned against me. He turns his hand against me all the day. In verse three, Jeremiah says that God has turned his hand against him. He feels like he is under attack and he can't defend himself. He's helpless and he is at the mercy of his enemies. I've always said there, there's a small passage. Pastor is going through Exodus. I think he's passed it already. But there's a, a, a passage in there. It says God is telling Moses after Moses has denied and said, I can't do it. I, I'm not strong enough. I can't talk right. Lord, I got a limp. Please send somebody else. Don't send me. After he's given all of this, then he finally says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then God gives him, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to release my only son. And you tell him that if he doesn't release my only son, I'm going to kill his only son. And he's like, okay, wow. And then there's this small, obscure verse in there that says the next day as they were getting ready to go it says the Lord met him early and sought to kill him and then it says the poor his wife circumcised their oldest son and the Lord released him and let him go and I, I preached it one time and what I thought about was you know I, I used to watch a lot of scary movies I can't take them anymore because they're just crazy now but you know, if, 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 if a bad guy is after you, you can run. If a monster is after you, you can turn on the lights, get under the covers, keep your feet tucked in, right? But if God is after you, where can you run? Where can you hide? What can you do? <laughs> there it is. You can't do anything. And can you imagine feeling like God has turned on you? Of all the people, everybody in my life can turn on me, but I can't have God turn on me. I just feel like I would just melt. I would just fall down right now and just say, you got me. 
I can't imagine that. So surely he's against me. Verse four says, my flesh and my skin hath he made old. So it means that he's aging above where he is. I don't know if he's 30 or 40 years old. He feels like he's 60. And he says, he has broken my bones. And I'm going to read on. It says, he hath builded against me and encompassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead or old. He has hedged me about that I can't get out. He has made me, uh, made my chain heavy. I can't get away. Also, when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayers. Can you believe that? Now, this is Jeremiah's perspective. Is God doing this stuff? Really? No, he's not doing it to him. But again, he's part of uh, this destruction. This destruction that he's been warning them for 40 years that was coming. Now he's part of it. He's witnessing it. And in, in chapter two, we saw that this was God's punishment. But my God, if God punishes you, it's on a whole nother level. And to think that all it would take would be repentance. We'll see that later. But all it would take would be repentance to turn away, to turn God's name. He wouldn't have, it wouldn't have happened if they'd have turned back where they were. But because they were hard-hearted, because they would not listen, because they wouldn't turn back to God, this is what happens inevitably. And I heard one, um, one commentator say this, and I thought this was so cool, said, God's anger is like a, a, a simmering pot. As long as you're watching it, it just simmers. When it gets to the point that it starts to boil over, because you're watching it, you can deal with it. You can handle it. You can turn the fire down. You can turn it off. You can do whatever you need. You can add your meal to it, whatever. But if you're not watching a simmering pot, eventually it's going to do what? It's going to boil over. And once it boils over, it's too late to deal with it because you will already be dealing with the overflow. And he said, that's God's anger. God's anger simmers. It simmers. And as long as it's simmering, as long as we're watching it, we're able to do what? Repent. We're able to deal with it. We're able to handle it. But the moment we stop watching, the moment we stop focusing on God's anger, it can and will boil over on us. And his anger is, it's unfathomable. The city is destroyed. Jerusalem was considered one of the most beautiful cities in the world. It's the place that God is going to set up his kingdom when it's all said and done. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And it was utterly destroyed. Their neighbors, the enemies, the people around that looked at it, they were envious of the place. Because it had God's covering, his blessing, his hand was on it. They couldn't just come in and do anything. They had the temple. They had their places of worship. It was wonderful, but the people were dirty. The people were, were foul. The people weren't God-fearing. And this was God's chosen people. And so eventually the city is utterly destroyed. How is it destroyed? You name it. They take the people captive. They have their way with the women. They're killing babies. It's, it's insane. 
And Jeremiah is sitting in this cave and he is witnessing and he's looking at it. Verse 8, he said, also when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He doesn't listen to me. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. There's a verse that says, Lord, please make my paths straight. But he says, thee has made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying uh, in wait and a lion in a secret place. God was just waiting to pounce and devour me or attack me or ravage me. Come on. Verse 11, he hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as the mark, the target. He's aiming at me. I don't know about you, but God is a perfect shot. So no matter what I do, he's going to hit me. I'm a big target. <laughs> He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all day. He hath filled me with bitterness and he's made me drunk with wormwood. Very bitter, bitter, bitter taste. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. Come on. He has covered me with ashes, and thou hast removed my soul far off from peace, and I forgot prosperity. Now, I don't know about you. When I hear people say that they're prophets, and I look at the words that come out of their mouths. It's all so positive and, 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 and lovely. And if you just do this and if you just do that, God will bless you immensely. God will do this. But when I read this Old Testament and, and the prophet prophets, number one, the message was never, never a good message. It was always a difficult message. Or he made them do little demonstrations that showed if you don't do this, then I'm going to make you bare and naked. It just, he had his prophets do a whole lot of stuff. Number one, I wouldn't even want to be a prophet. If, if that's all the stuff that I had to go through, uh, Lord, make me something else. But it, it just it fascinates me that people will want to take the title of prophet and not understand that I think Paul said it best. We are, we are made a spectacle in front of the world. We are made a spectacle. We are put on display so that the world, and as Christians, that's exactly what we are. We are put on display. We are made a spectacle because the world is watching us. They're watching how we respond, how we respond to uh, tribulation, how we, how we respond to trials, how we respond to hard times. Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But those that build their house on the rock, which is Christ, well, when, when the wind and the waves and the water come up against it, their house doesn't get destroyed. Now, he's not talking about stuff. He's talking about you. So when, tra when tragedy happens and strikes the church and it also strikes the world while the world is hopeless and figuring out how they're going to put it all together, we still have a way to move on. We, because our focus is somewhere else and we're going to see this in just a verse or two. Uh, and he, he kind of closes out this first section with verse 18 and it says, and I said, 
This is what he said. And I thought this was interesting. He said, and I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. It's dead to the Lord. I have no hope. I have no strength. Everything is gone. And then Pastor Russ has been giving us our memory verses and, 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 and all the stuff. It was in my chapter, but he's been using it up. All of this good ammo, he's been using it up. And when you look, even when you look at this book as a whole, this is the mountain peak of the book. This is the mountain peak of the chapter. It's the mountain peak. It should be the mountain peak of our lives. And that's verse 21. Verse 21 says, now mind you, he said, my strength and my hope are perished from the Lord. But watch verse 21. Verse 21 says, this I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. And I'm going to give you 22 to build up the context. It says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. That is the mountain peak of our lives. He says, this I recall to my mind. Do you know what he's talking about here? He's talking about a testimony. And what do you mean a testimony? If you have never been through anything, if you have never struggled through anything, if God has never shown himself in your life, then you have no reference. You have nothing to call upon when what? When stuff does happen, when troubles show up when things get difficult, when life gets hard. But because you have a testimony, I've seen what God has done in my life. I've seen the deliverance of the Lord in my own life. So when I get to a situation in my life where it's hard or I'm stuck or I feel like I can't get through or there's no hope, my mind, what did he say? He said, I recall to my mind what? What God has done for me before. Amen. Now, there may be some who haven't gone through something, as I look at the youngsters here, who haven't gone through much in their lives. But watch this. When they go through something, they have parents that they can go through that have what? A testimony of what God has done in their lives. Their church family of what God has done in their lives. That's the purpose of testimonies. You don't hold your testimony close to your chest. You don't hold it. I know for some, some testimonies may be shameful. You know, I don't want people to think that uh, I, there was a time in my life when I never had it together. There was a time in my life when I struggled or when things were difficult or, or I didn't make the best decisions or I came up short. I'm going to tell you this right now. I still come up short. I still don't make the best decisions. But God is faithful. And what did he say? His mercies. It is because of his mercies that we are not consumed. I didn't die in my bad decision. I didn't die in my troubled spots. God was still there mercifully to help me out, to pull me up and to move me on. And look what he says, because his compassions fell not. I think it was David. David had done a great sin against God. And God came to David and said, okay, David, what's the punishment going to be? I'm going to let you pick. Either I'm going to do X, I'm going to have the enemies come, and they're going to flood the camp, or there's going to be pestilence come in, and then something else. And David said, well, I want the punishment that you're going to give us, because I know that your compassion won't fail. 
He said, if, if, if the punishment is, it has to fall to my enemies, then my enemies may not feel sorry for me and they may utterly destroy me. But I know with you, I will not be consumed. Through everything that's going on, yes, it's difficult. They're being destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is gone. But the people are still alive. They haven't been consumed. Uh, Verse 23, it says, his mercies, they are new every morning. Santosh just sang it, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Watch this. Verse 24 says, the Lord is my portion saith my soul. Therefore, will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. See, although we may lose everything, and it's a great possibility that we could lose it all. Nothing is promised. Tomorrow ain't even promised. But if you have the one thing that is promised to you, that's God, then everything is okay because with God, you have everything. But that has to be your perspective. That has to be our focus as Christians. We cannot put anything above him. That's why it says he must be first in our lives. He has to be first because anything else will fail you. Anything will fail. He won't fail you. And he is the one that can restore. There's a, uh, there's a, a little bit of a contrast I think of. I, I just, when I read all of this, I think of Job. And Job is dealing with this kind of stuff on a personal level. And he's going through it. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know what's happening. But look at Job's re- resolve. What did Job say? Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What kind of faith is that? Come on. You have to be able to say the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Everything that I have is because of God. So if I lose it, that means God allowed me to lose it and I didn't need it as long as I didn't lose him. As long as I still have him. And that has to be the focus. Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to be hurt and we're not going to be upset and we're not going to be this, but we're not going to stay there. We're going to be able to pick ourselves up and get back on and, and move forward with what, whatever God has for us because we know that he is our portion, that he is for us. He is my hope that as long as I have him, I have everything. Amen. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh. And then I jump to verse 31, 32. It says, for the Lord will not cast off forever. I will, I will not be in this situation forever. I, I, I won't be back at scratch forever. I, I, I won't be in this pit forever. Then verse 32 says, but though he calls grief, grief, Yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Thank God for his mercies. Man, that, that, that is really what I want you to grasp today and hold on and to meditate on. That regardless, if God does judge America... And it goes down and it looks anything like this. We got balloons and I don't know what else is over flying over us now. It's a whole lot of weird stuff going on. But if God does judge America, 
know that we as Christians, we still have him. We still have our faith. We still have each other. And as long as we have that, guess what? We have everything. We have everything. So his mercies are good. And then I jump to verse 41 because now Jeremiah is shifting this. Now, now there's a shift that's happening. He's, he's recognized or he's seen himself in light of everything that's happened. And he felt like God was, was personally doing this stuff to him. But then he had this revelation that came to his mind that no, great are his mercies. Great is his faithfulness. God is good. He's going to hold us up. He's going to forgive us and all this. So now everything shifts and we shift to a place of repentance. And what does he say? Verse 41, it says, let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Why? Verse 42, because we have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned us. Thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain, thou hast piled. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. Thou hast made us as the offscoring and refuse in the midst of the people. All of our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Now, what do you see there? You see confession. You see confession. Jeremiah has, I won't say realized because he's known, but what he's saying is he's asking God for forgiveness. He's repenting for the sins of the people. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about difficult times, hard times or whatever that make us get to a place of repentance. Sometimes it, I, 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 it must be by design, but it says that God uses those moments to chastise us, to bring us back. And we should be grateful that he does it because that means that he loves us. What parent does not chastise their child when they're wrong? It means that he loves us and he's bringing us back to himself when we get caught up in our own ways our own lives. So I am grateful for it. I'm not grateful for the spanking, but I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the love. Thank you for the love, Lord. And you get to a point in a place where you do understand. You know, when it's all said and done and they're at the great white throne judgment and God is about to hand out the judgment and send multitudes of people to hell, do you know what they're going to say? Nobody's going to be up there pleading their case. It's not going to be a yeah, but, yeah, but. They're going to say, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. You're right. You were 100% right about me. You you were 100% right. And watch this. We say the same thing now. Lord, you are 100% right about me. You are correct about me. I am unworthy to be in your presence. I am unclean in your sight. Lord, I am not right. I don't deserve the gift that you gave me. But thank you that you've given me that gift. And I will thank you every day that I wake up and see those new mercies, Lord. And I will walk on your straight paths. I will walk after you. I will preach your word. This is what Jeremiah had to be. I will preach your word in season, out of season, whether they listen or not, I'm going to preach your word. I'm going to do what you've called me to do to the best of my ability. Lord, sometime my flesh is going to kick in. Sometimes I'm not going to feel like it. Sometimes I'm going to go after my own way, my own passion, my own heart, the stuff that I want to do, Lord. And when I realize that I am hurting you or upsetting you or I'm off the path, 
I will repent. I will turn back to you and we will straighten this thing back out because I love you and I don't want to hurt you. And sometimes I have to come to that realization. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get confused. Sometimes I think, well, this will be good. This will be good for the family. Oh, the Lord will be all, all right with this. And you make these decisions and decision, decision, decision. And then I look up and I done, I done came way off the path. And then the Lord has to do something to get my attention. To make me realize that I haven't sought after him or I haven't prayed like I should be or I haven't done the things that I should have done for him or by him or with him or to my family or whatever it may be. But it causes me to get in a place of repentance, to get in a place uh, where I can see before God where I am uh, coming up short. I think it was Isaiah. Isaiah said, I saw his, his train fill the temple. And he said, because of all of this, and when I witnessed them, he said, I see that I was a man of unclean lips. This was Isaiah the prophet. He realized his sin when he was in God's presence. This is why worship is so powerful. This is why we open up our service with worship. Because we are calling on the presence of God to show up. And if the presence of God shows up, then watch, I am laid bare before it. And you want to see some good falling on your face, worship hands up, crying out, all of that good stuff. It's when you realize that you are in the presence of a holy God and you are not worthy to be there. But he has accepted you, he's cleaned you, he's washed you up. Ah, that's some good worship right there. That's some good worship right there. So he moves to a place of repentance. And then jumping to the end of this thing and we're going to wrap up. Life is a roller coaster. Love is a roller coaster. I told you about those love songs. One moment you're high, then the next moment you're down. But the song is still good all the way. So he's had this, this, this mountain peak experience, and then he slumps back down into, uh, and, and now I don't know if he's, he's, he's accusing the people who have wronged him or who have been after him, or if he's talking about the Babylonians and what they're doing, but he finds himself and he closes this chapter in a place where now he's praying, he's, he's in prayer, and he's praying to the Lord, and he's telling the Lord to deliver us. Show up on our behalf, Lord. And he says, verse 59, O Lord, thou hast seen my wrong, judge thou my cause. Thou hast seen all their vengeance and all their imaginations against me. Thou hast heard their reproach and all their imaginations against me. The lips of those that rose up against me and their device against me all day. Behold, they're sitting down and they're rising up and I am their music. I am what they're talking about. I am what they are entertaining themselves about. Look at Jeremiah. He's, he's going through it now. He wants to come up in here and talk all that stuff. Look at him now. I, I see him up there in that cave crying. Look at that. Take it. Behold, they're sitting down and they rise up and I am their music. 64, render unto them a recompense, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Everything that they've done to me, Lord, take it back to them. Give them sorrow of heart, thy curse unto them. Persecute and destroy them in, the, in, in anger from under the heavens of the Lord. So now he moves into a place of prayer, but it's a place of prayer where he's saying, Lord, move on my behalf. 
Go, go after them, Lord. Punish them, Lord. Everything that they've, that they've done to me, Lord, do to them. And watch this. It is happening to them. It is what his foes, his enemies at that time, if it wasn't the Babylonians, were his countrymen who did what? Who didn't want to listen to him, who didn't want to believe him, who didn't want to heed the warning from the Lord. And so now Jeremiah is, is almost ticked off seeing all of this. He's like, Lord, you got to get him. And the Lord is getting him. But you just see this wave of emotion that Jeremiah is using in his poem or in his song. And like I say, we got to a mountain peak. We hit that peak high, and that's the peak that we're going to take home. But we slowly came back down again. But the beauty of it is this, and I always says, say this. The beauty of it, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't have to have vengeance. The beauty of it, it was a prayer. It was a prayer. In your prayer life with God, in your conversation to God, you can be whatever you need to be. However you feel, you can be down. There are so many Psalms that are not positive Psalms. But because they are prayers, they're okay. And as long as you're talking to God and not gossiping or talking to your friend or somebody else about it, but you're talking to God about it, then it's okay. It's all right. Because you are placing your frustration, you are placing your pain, your hurt, your fear, your sorrow, you're placing all of that stuff to the one person that can handle it, the one person who can deal with it, the one person who can change things. And that's God. So as long as it's in prayer, it's fine. It's okay. So, you know, a lot of times we don't know what to pray for. There's, I don't believe there is a time we don't know what to pray for or we don't have something to pray for. Because anytime you feel a frustration or a hurt or a wrong or a pain or a happiness or a joy, whatever it may be, you always have something to take to the Lord in prayer. Always. And Isaiah is realizing his place in all of this. He thought that things would be different. And if you read the book of Jeremiah, it never really ever pans out anymore to him. His, his reward is the same reward that we as Christians will get. That reward is when we are in the presence of God forever. That's where it is. Ultimately, they got him. They took him to Egypt. And the historians say they stoned him to death. So the life of Jeremiah never matriculated to something where he was famous or he, he had all the money of the world or the people listened to him and this and that. All he had was a promise from God that said, I will restore them. I, I will bring them back. And we know that everything in the Old Testament is a picture that points to Jesus Christ and that the ultimate fulfillment of everything was made true in Jesus Christ. It says that when Jesus Christ died, he went down and he preached to the captives and he preached to them. And I believe the sermon was like, look at me. Here I am right where I belong. I think that was the Muppet song. Look at me. Here I am. Everything that you've been waiting for is fulfilled in me. And that's what we're waiting on. We're waiting for that fulfillment to come back. So that's what I want you to take from this lesson today is life gets hard. Life will be hard. Life will be difficult. It probably won't be everything that we want it to be. But take heart 
We have God, and as long as we have God, we have everything. We have his mercies. We have his love. Great is his faithfulness towards us. He loves us. He's wonderful in everything. And, it, and, when life, and when life does get difficult, and life gets hard, and life gets unfair, take it to God in prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's see. I got some questions for our discussion groups. Let's see. Let's throw them up. Okay, can I read that? Okay. Uh, question one says, in what ways can we see the effects of sin and judgment on individuals and communities today? Based on what we were reading in the story. I thought that was cool. Uh, how can Jeremiah's trust in God in spite of his suffering serve as an example for us in our own struggles? And how can the message of hope and restoration inspire us to look towards the future with optimism Despite the challenges we may face today, these are some good questions. Come on. All right. Well, we can get into our groups and get to answering them. For those online, we thank you. Thank you for coming and listening to us today. And God bless you. And if it be his will, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.